0: You are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series Choose This Day from the Book of Joshua. Pray for other churches in town. Uh, but instead of going in order as we have been, we're gonna pray for Gary Kuype, who's uh one of our own pastors who's preaching at Cornerstone this morning. So join me in prayer for him. Father, we worship you. I just I praise you that you have made a way for us to come to you. What a good trade it is. Our sin for your beauty and righteousness. God, I ask that you would move this morning on behalf of Gary. He's probably preaching right now. Um, Would you speak through him, God, with a demonstration of the spirit and power? Would you encourage the believers at Cornerstone, Lord? Would you equip them? Would you excite them about you? Would you compel them to worship you? And would you use Gary to help them as he teaches the word? And now, Father, I pray for our time. Uh, am glad, Lord, that we can come and worship you together. We need help to hear from you, Lord God. Our hearts are dull, so I ask that you would soften them. Lord, I am weak and broken and sinful, and so I ask that you would please speak uh, through me, not because of any good in me, but because you love your people. You love to build up your church uh, even more than I would desire that. So Bless us today, compel us to be obedient people. I pray in Christ's name, amen. We're gonna be in Joshua 23 this morning. Joshua chapter 23, so you guys can turn there. We are nearing the end of the book of Joshua. Uh, And last week, Bill unpacked chapter 22 for us and he showed us uh, that there was this dispute between the tribes on the east side of the Jordan and the tribes on the west side of the Jordan. And he encouraged us, as we looked at that text, to pursue unity, to choose unity in our church, in our marriages, in our families. Uh, This week, as we look at 23, we're actually going to fast forward almost 25 years from chapter 22. And so, as I set the stage for us, Joshua is old. His time on earth is coming to an end, And so what he does is he summons all of Israel's leaders to himself. He wants to give them one last set of instructions. And these guys that he calls to instruct, at one point, these, these were his men. They were his soldiers, but now they're the leaders of the nation, the heads of the tribes, the elders. And so he gives them one last set of barking orders. Uh, and that's what chapter 23 is all about. So I want to read the text in its entirety, and then we'll unpack it. Read with me. Remember, we're coming to God's word. What an honor to get to sit under the word of God. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well-advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I'm now old and well-advanced in years. And you've seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. First, the Lord your God has fought for you. Bold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off, from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do All that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you've done this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it's the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord your God will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he's given you. So these are his last instructions to his leaders, not so much a reunion as much as it is a business meeting. And we can essentially summarize Joshua's commands to these leaders in two words. Obey God. Obey God. And so this sermon today is about obedience, right? We're in a series called Choose This Day, and we've We've seen that Israel and we have to make a number of choices as we've looked at this book. And the choice today for us is the choice of obedience. Now, no matter what your upbringing is, no matter how long you've been a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian at all, you probably have an opinion about obedience. And not just an opinion, but your life communicates pretty clearly how you feel about obedience. Those of you who obey view obedience as a priority, while some of you who maybe don't obey quite so much demonstrate that obedience is not that important to you. But whether we obey or disobey, we all likely have a reason for why we obey or disobey. Maybe for you, you are zealous about obedience because you want God to love you more. You want him to approve of you. You want him to do good to you, and so you obey him. Uh, Others of you might obey because your dad taught you, man, this is what good people do. We obey the Bible. Uh, Others of you may not put such a priority on obedience because you're under grace. Freedom in Christ, man. Obedience is not that important. Or, Or maybe you're here this morning and you just... You honestly just don't care about obeying. You might be be in one of those camps, you might not be. But when we look at the scriptures, one thing is not up for debate God commands obedience. God commands obedience. And so this sermon is not about if we should obey, this sermon is about why we should obey. So, with the help of Joshua in chapter 23, I want to give us four reasons why. We should obey God. So let's start in verse 6. And the reason I want to start in verse 6 is because verse 6 is the crux of this passage. Verse 6 is the um, instruction that the rest of the passage hangs on. So look there with me. Here's what Joshua says to his leaders. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. In other words, obey God. Leaders, obey God. And what's interesting is this is almost exactly what God tells Joshua himself in chapter one. When God commissions Joshua, here's what he says to him in chapter one, verse seven. He says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do, uh, to do according to all the law of Moses, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. So Israel's success under Joshua is due in large part because he took these words to heart. He understood that that the success of the nation was tied to the obedience of the nation. And so he prioritized obedience among all the people in Israel. And that's exactly how he closes out his life. He says, just as God commanded me to be obedient, I'm now commanding you guys to be obedient. Right, but just to uh, solidify that this is a command for us as well, not just for some untapped pages of the Old Testament. I want to remind us of the last words of another leader who is relatively significant, uh, named Jesus. And here are his last words to his disciples. Here's what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So Jesus' last words to his disciples are to go and make other disciples who observe all that I've commanded you. He didn't want them just to, to teach information. Right? He wanted them to teach obedience, obedience. So the last thing he commands them with before he takes off. So pretty big deal. And, and our first reason that we should obey God is relative, relatively obvious. And here's what it is. We should obey God Because God says so. We should obey because God says so. Now, I've never seen Star Wars. Uh, I know, a gasp over here. That's what I get sometimes. The guys on staff give me a hard time for never seeing Star Wars. But let me tell you why I've never seen Star Wars. I've never seen Star Wars because in seventh grade, when I had a chance to see Star Wars, my sweet mom messed it all up. So it was a half day, and Yates Baker invites me to go see Star Wars. And so my mom comes to pick me up, and I say, Hey, Mom, hey, can I please uh, go see Star Wars with some buddies? And she says, Honey, it's, it's just not going to work today. I'm sorry. Mom, please, I want to go so bad. No. no, not today, honey. Well, why not? Because I said so. Because you said so. What, what a bad reason to a seventh grader, right? Because I said so. I hate because I said so. Now, some of you guys are like elbowing your mom and dad thinking, see, dad, because I said so, that's dumb. Okay, and the rest of you guys are thinking, well, if, if because I said so doesn't work for your mom, why should it work for God? I mean, should, should we, we really obey because God says so? You tell me. Who brought you into existence? Who sustains you? I mean, the air that you're breathing right now, your heart that's beating, are you given effort to do that? And life life may not be perfect, but hopefully this Thanksgiving calls you to think about the blessings that are in your life, the friends or the family or the provision or food to enjoy or Christ. what what do you have that you haven't been given god made us and god sustains us and god graciously provides for us we are completely dependent on him if he asks us to do something should we do it he's the creator and we are the creature that should be reason enough We've got to remember that the kingdom of God is a kingdom, not a democracy. Subjects submit to the king. Creatures should submit to the creator. And so I want to ask us a couple of questions this morning to help us assess where we are when it comes to obedience. And let me tell you this. You're looking at a sinful man who is far too often disobedient, I have no ground to stand on above you, right? I just simply I want to grow in obedience. I hope you want to grow in obedience. And so consider these questions with me. Are you willingly living in disobedience? Are there biblical commands that you just ignore? Is there something that you know you need to do, but you're fighting it? Are there any areas of your heart or your life that you're just closing off to God? Take a minute just to pray in your head and your heart and to ask God, God, where am I being disobedient to you? Don't, don't think about somebody else. Think about yourself. God, where am I being disobedient to you? God commands us to be obedient people. That should be enough for us. But thankfully, God gives us more reason to obey. So let's look at verse 3 and see what Joshua's saying to his leaders. He says, You've seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it's the Lord your God who's fought for you. Behold, I've allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off from the Jordan of the Great Sea in the West, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Now, as he continues to instruct these leaders, he gives them the motivation for their obedience. He he tells them what should motivate, what should inform their obedience. Notice in verse six. The word therefore immediately follows verses three through five, obviously. And here's what Joshua's saying. Let me tell you why you should obey God. The reason that you should obey God is because of what God's done for you. Think about what he's done for you. He's brought you across the Jordan. He's, He's fought with you. He destroyed Jericho and I and five kings in one day. And you remember the operation in southern Canaan? You remember all the battles in northern Canaan? Do you remember how God's fought for you? And and this land that you're living in now, don't you know that this is your inheritance? Promised hundreds of years before, and now you're there. And just he has been faithful to these things. He's gonna get rid of the rest of these nations that are in here. Because of what God has done for you, you should obey him. And friend, this is our second point. The same is true for us. We should obey because of what God has done for us. We should be obedient people because of what God has done. Has done for us. Now, you might be thinking, God hadn't fought for me. Not like that. I mean, He hadn't dominated my enemies and He hadn't given me an inheritance. He hadn't promised once and for all to destroy all my trouble. I will quote our senior pastor and say, Oh, contraire, mon frère. One of the biggest problems, my friends, in the church is that we fail to see and understand what God has done for us. And God may not have destroyed a physical enemy, but friend, he, he destroyed your biggest enemy. Sin has the power to condemn you to hell forever. And God took it on himself. Oh, he has fought for us. And he has given you an inheritance, an inheritance better than land in the Middle East. He has given you the spirit of God, a guarantee of a greater inheritance to come. He's made you a son and a daughter. He's promised life with him on a glorious, restored earth, forgiveness, righteousness, a future. Oh, we should obey because of what God has done for us. Don't you want to obey him? And when did he do this for you? Did he he do this for you when you were being a good boy or girl? When you had everything just working out? When you were being obedient? No. Romans chapter 5 tells us that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here this morning, you're one of those people who's constantly trying to do good in order to earn God's love. Friend, stop. It's not the way it works. No, the order of operations when it comes to obedience in the New Testament is this. We obey not, not to earn God's favor. Okay, that's what Santa Claus says, not Jesus. We don't obey to earn God's favor. No, we obey because we've already been given God's favor while we were still sinners. Christianity is not about keeping rules. It's about a God who came to rescue his enemies, and he has won our hearts. And so we delight to obey him. Let me illustrate it this way. Put yourself in this scenario. Okay, in the first service, I... Uh, I asked people to go, go with me back to high school, okay? And I, I said, for some of you guys, that's a long time. And so I'm not gonna say that to y'all because that offended some of the people there. And I was hoping I would get more laughs by saying that, but I didn't. Um, but pretend you're in high school with me. And pretend that one night after curfew, you wanna sneak out. You wanna sneak out, and you wanna go drinking with your buddies. And you don't wanna just sneak out and go drinking with your buddies. You wanna take dad's car. So you sneak out, take dad's car, you go have a few drinks with your buddies, and you're heading home and (sniffs) wreck. Cars totaled, cops show up, DUI. Dad shows up. What if your dad looked at you and said, Buddy, sweetheart, listen. Listen, I know a lawyer. I'm going to get this off of your record. In the car, don't worry about the car. I'm going to pay for the car myself. And listen, I don't want to stop there. I want, Actually, I want to get you a new car. You pick whatever kind of new car you want. I'm going to get it for you. I know you don't deserve it, but I just want to show you how much I love you. How would you respond to that? The next day when your dad asked you to take out the trash, would you do it? Okay, if you didn't, you'd be the biggest punk in world history. (laughs) Uh, You would want to obey your dad after that. Right, friend, get this. How much more has Christ done for us than get us a new car after a DUI? We deserve hell. But he has given us Life, eternal life, he has given us himself. Don't you want to obey him? What does that look like for you this morning? Maybe as he, he paid your debt, maybe you have debt that you owe that you have not paid. Maybe you just need to pay somebody back. Or maybe somebody owes you and you can image Christ in forgiven that debt. Or maybe you walk around holding a grudge, angry or embittered by someone who's hurt you, and you just need to forgive that person this morning. What is it that you need to do this morning to obey God? Whatever it is, because of what God has done for you, obey Him. It's our second reason for obedience. Let's look at our third, starting in verse 6. Again, Joshua says. Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you've done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. As for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One of you puts to flight a thousand, says it's the Lord who fights for you, just as he promised. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. So Joshua continues to give his leaders reasons why they should obey, why they should compel the rest of Israel to obey. And in these verses, he shows us that their obedience was to be connected to their hearts. Their obedience was to be connected to their hearts. Right? He wanted them to love God above anything or anyone else. Look at the language that he uses again. It says that you may not mix with these nations. You shall cling to the Lord your God. Verse 11, be careful to love the Lord your God. Mix, cling, love. All these are marital terms, right? You guys know a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. What Joshua is telling these guys is that you need to be faithfully devoted to God. Your allegiance, your union needs to be to God and not to these these other little false gods. And you know, when I read this, I think "That, that could go unsaid. I mean, God has worked powerfully on behalf of these guys. God has wiped out nations. God has given victory after victory. Why would they, why would Israel join the enemy and worship these little pretend gods that the one true God has destroyed? But Joshua exercised great foresight because just one generation after these leaders failed to love God. And they mixed with these other nations. So he commanded them to love God. And that love was to be expressed in obedience. And here we see our next point. The next reason that we should be obedient people is because we love God. You should obey because you love God. Now, this obviously connects directly to the previous point. We we should obey because of what God has done for us. But here's what I'm encouraging us with right now. If we understand what God has done for us, we can't not love him. Bad grammar, good preaching, right? If we understand what he's done for us, we can't not love him. The one who is forgiven much loves much. We love because he first loved us. And let me say this, you guys, we have a church that loves God. I mean, even looking around the room right now, I see people who I look up to for how much you love God. It's awesome. I'm thrilled to be a part of a church that loves God. And and let me ask us this question, though. What does love for God look like? I mean, how does love for God express itself? In John chapter 14, Jesus tells us, and here's what he says. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He doesn't say, if you love me, then you'll be emotional and worship. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll read your Bible every morning. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll pray before bed at night, or you'll, you'll have lots of conversations about the Bible. Though those things may be true. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, let me address, especially some younger folks, because I see this more among us than I do among those of you who've been walking with Christ a longer time. It's not okay for us to say, man, I'm gonna disobey and God's gonna forgive me. I'm just gonna do what I want. God will forgive me. I'm gonna grace. Friend, with, with just love and humility. That is so immature. When we say that, we communicate that we don't really understand what God's done for us. Or, or if you say, nah, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because I don't want to be legalistic. I'm not going to obey because I don't want to be a legalist. Friend, that's like saying you're not going to give water to a thirsty person because they might drown. God commands obedience. When we willingly disobey under the heading of grace, we demonstrate significant immaturity. And so let let me pose this question. It comes from a book that I recently read that deeply challenged me. And here's what the author asked. He said, who's the more mature Christian? The, The one who knows a lot about the Bible and obeys a little bit of it? Or the one who... Knows a little bit about the Bible and obeys most of what he knows. Which one's more mature? The Christian maturity, love for God shows itself in gospel motivated, joy filled obedience. I mean, think about your marriage. Sometimes in your marriages, there's romance, there's laughter, obedience comes, or love for your spouse comes easy. But others, you got to take the trash out. you got to do the dishes. you got to clean diapers to show your love for your spouse. And sometimes that speaks louder. And so, friends, obedience to God is the same way. Jesus says if we love him, we'll obey him. For you, that could be just not complaining at work. It, it might be trusting and obeying God's commands about sex and sexual immorality. It, it could be... Um, for kids, it could be joyfully obeying your parents, listening to them with a good attitude. It could be not lying to them anymore. It could be being nice to your brother or sister. And maybe it's not a sin you need to quit so much as it is um, something proactive that you need to do. Like if you've been at church a while and you've become a follower of Christ, it's awesome. The New Testament would say your first step of obedience should be Baptism. And so maybe that is what obedience looks like for you this morning. Or maybe it's trusting God with your finances for for the first time. Or maybe for others, it's easy to trust God with finances and you need to just give of yourself, your time, your energy, your gifts to serve other people. If you're a Christian, chances are God is probably nudging you either at school or at work or in your neighborhood to share Christ with somebody. Whatever it is that God's encouraging you to obey this morning. Obey him because you love him. Demonstrate your love for God by your obedience to him. So that's our third reason. One more reason, verses 12 and 13, will instruct us. One more reason to obey. Here's what Joshua says to his leaders. If you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. So to this point, Joshua's been very positive with these leaders. He said, man, God's telling you to obey, obey because of what he's done for you. Don't you love God? Obey him because you love God. But now his tone changes a little bit and he offers this warning and he says, guys, if if you fail to obey God, he's not going to fight for you anymore. He's going to just allow these nations to remain and they're going to be nuisances to you. They're going to be thorns in your eyes and whips in your sides, And again, this is exactly what happened. Judges chapter 1 tells us that one generation after breaks this exact command. And the consequences for Israel are terrible. The destruction of their land, the triumph of their enemies, their own dissatisfaction. They lost sight that it was in their best interest to obey God. And that's our last reason this morning that we should obey God. We should obey because it's best for us. Obey God because it's best for you. The maker of the universe has created things with purpose and with order. Right? He knows how his creation will function best. And so he has designed that for human beings, our obedience will lead to our flourishing. When we conform to his will, we will find life and satisfaction. On the flip side of that, when we don't conform to his will, when we live in disobedience, that will lead to dissatisfaction and ultimately to destruction, right? That, that's Israel. They ended up getting what they wanted, mixing with these other nations, and it was to their detriment. It was to their dissatisfaction. I, I mean, how did it work out for them? Friend, this was my life before I became a Christian. This was me just pursuing satisfaction anywhere I could find it apart from God. And then when I, when I got what I wanted, realizing that it didn't satisfy. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. Obedience to God is kind of like eating healthy food. Right? I don't leave before I'm able to explain myself. Okay, because it doesn't sound too appealing. Okay, to the guy who's grown up on Twinkies and Cherry Cokes, healthy food doesn't sound so good. But when that guy starts eating healthy food, he starts to have a little bit more energy. He starts to function a little bit better, right? He starts to feel better. And over time, he starts to actually enjoy this healthy food that he's eating. And, And those Twinkies that he thought were satisfying him at one time, he realizes those never really satisfied me. In fact, they don't even taste that good at all. The, those Twinkies that I was living on dissatisfy. Friend, you were made for one thing to know and enjoy God. If you try to satisfy yourself with these little gods like wealth or sex or materialism or physical appearance or even good things like relationships or work or sports, you're going to wind up dissatisfied. Only the one true God will satisfy you. Augustine said it this way. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said, you have made us for yourself, O God and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O oh God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Obey God because it's best for you. I know it's counterintuitive, and I know there's some of you in the room right now who are frightened to take a step of obedience. Maybe you're not a believer, and you've, Christ is tugging on you, man, and, and you're, you're scared or you think that becoming a Christian is you're gonna lose all your fun, or even who you are is gonna have to change, let me ask you this. Have you ever obeyed God and regretted it? Have you ever obeyed God and genuinely regretted it? Hello. But but how many times have you disobeyed God? Have you indulged your desires? Have you pursued satisfaction elsewhere and just come up wanting for more. If you're like me, too many times to count. Whatever it is that God's putting on your heart this morning to obey him in, do it. I promise you he will provide contentment and satisfaction. He will cash the check. God will show you if you obey him that it's in your best interest to obey. He'll do it. So we have four reasons to obey God. Obey God because he says so, that's reason enough. Obey him because of what he's done for us. Obey him because we love him. And obey him because it's best for us. But Joshua has three more verses of content to instruct his leaders with. And so we wanna go there with him uh, and see how he closes these instructions. Verse 14. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord... Will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he's given you. Now you would think Joshua would close things out on kind of a positive note. Right, Hey, fellas, thanks for the effort. You guys have done a great job. You've been awesome soldiers. Hang in there. Nothing like that. Instead, what these guys get from Joshua is a reality check. Here's what he tells us, leaders. As faithful as God has been to bless you, to bring you into this land, to wipe out your enemies, to prosper you, if you disobey him, if you transgress his covenant, he will be equally faithful to punish you, to pour out his anger on you. End of speech. How do you like that? That's tough. Right? And it helps us a great deal if we understand the agreement that God had with Israel. Now, they were under a covenant called the Mosaic Covenant, and here's the gist of that covenant or contract. If, a, if Israel obeyed God, If they kept covenant with him, then God would bless them. God would prosper them. God would remove their enemies. God would do good to them. His favor would remain on them. But if they disobeyed God, if they broke covenant with God, God's anger would be kindled against them. And he'd pour out his wrath on them. It was a conditional covenant. Obey God, he'll bless. Disobey God, he'll curse. The condition was obedience. Now, we're not under this covenant. But but God's standards have not changed, friends. God, God still demands perfect obedience. And if you don't hear anything else this whole time, Hear this. If you're a believer, be refreshed by this. If you're not a believer, this is the most important news you can hear. God demands perfect obedience from his creatures. And if you're honest with yourself, you're thinking, well, I hadn't obeyed. And I'm honest with myself, and I'm thinking I hadn't obeyed. So, so why, this, why this covenant that God had with Moses? I don't get it. Well, Paul helps us understand it in Romans chapter 3. Here's what he says. He says, for by works of the law, for by obeying this covenant, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the point of the law, the main point of this covenant that God had with Israel was to show them that they are a sinful people and he is a holy God and they could never do enough to be right with him. They could never obey perfectly enough. And what I'm telling you this morning, friend, is you can never obey Enough to be right with God. Now, you're probably thinking, Cain, I thought this was a sermon on obedience, on why we should obey. And you're telling me, I can't obey. That's exactly right. But here's what I'm telling you. God had a cure for our obedience problem, friend. And again, just rejoice in this. God sent his own son to be obedient for you. Jesus Christ became a man. He lived on the earth. He lived a perfect life fulfilling the law. He obeyed it in every area. He was your substitute in life. He obeyed the way you should have obeyed. But he wasn't just obedient on our behalf in life. He was obedient on our behalf in death. Because we have not obeyed God. God's anger at one point burned against us. Friend, I say with humility, if you're not a Christian, God's anger burns against you because you've sinned against him. But Jesus, listen to what he's done for you. He has taken on that anger on the cross. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross on your behalf. He has solidified a new covenant, a covenant that depends on his obedience, not ours. A covenant that's unconditional a covenant that guarantees you forgiveness and righteousness and a future if you believe in him. He credits his obedience to your account. So if you're here this morning and you're discouraged, you feel like you hadn't obeyed, you you know that you can't obey as you should, come back to the gospel. And remember this, you can't obey as you should, but Jesus obeyed for you. You can't obey as you should, but Jesus obeyed for you. If you're one of these people who's trying to earn God's love or you're hoping in your good works, no, 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 you need to believe in Jesus and accept his obedience on your behalf. Now, yes, we choose this day to be obedient people and we have great reason for it because God tells us to, because of what he'd done for us, because we love him, and because it's best for us. But even more important than our obedience is to remember that Jesus has obeyed for us. And as we look to him, as we remember who he is and what he's done on our behalf, we grow in love for him. We make it our aim to obey him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have sent Jesus to obey for us. We accept his obedience on our behalf this morning. We delight in it. And because of it, we want to obey you. We want to obey you because you have been so good to us, Lord. We want to obey you because you have caused us to love you. And so I pray for each of us in this room this morning that you would show us where we need to obey and give us the guts to obey you. I pray that as we do, you'll show us that it's in our best interest and that the glory would belong to you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.